Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, you're wearing masks, but you can still talk, okay? So, good morning, everyone. Hey, welcome, everyone. So good to see you guys here today. My name's Scott. I'm uh, lead pastor here. Man, what a blessing to to have you guys uh, with us this morning. We're in a new series um, in the Gospel of John because as a, as a church, we're reading through the Gospel of John devotionally together. Uh, I do highly recommend this. And if you're the kind of personality that like, has to start on time and end on time, please don't get caught up on that if you're like, out, of, uh, out of sorts with the schedule. Like, join us in the study. It has been such a blessing. Uh, and so pick up, pick up your gospel or your, your guide on the way out for the Gospel of John. So, so good. The Bible tells us that... Um, we mourn with those who mourn and we celebrate with those who celebrate. And it also tells us that when one part of the body of Christ is suffering, that we all suffer. And today we suffer with uh, one of the churches in our city, Grace Bible Church, who has one of their pastors who lost a son. He and his wife and their family lost a son tragically this week, a five-year-old boy. And it was a tragic accident and very painful, and I just wanted us to stop as a church and to pray for Grace Bible Church, but also Pastor Kelso, and just ask for God to be merciful. I know it's our greatest fear in life uh, to lose a child, and so uh, they're facing that as a church, and so would, would you stop with me, and let's pray for this part of our, our body in Christ. Father, we, we lift up the Kelso family, Lord, and we pray that your people would gather around them in ways that would astound them with their kindness with their patience, with their loves, their love, their words of encouragement, with their service towards them. Lord, would you bless this family somehow in the midst of this horrible, horrible tragedy? And dear God, would you shepherd their hearts, not just today, not just uh, tomorrow or in the coming weeks, but for years, for the decades to come, would you be with them as they mourn and as they suffer? But Lord, I pray that you would give them a profound hope of the resurrection. And again, not, not just today, but for the decades to come, that we will be re- reunited in Christ, that we will be raised from the dead, that our bodies too will be raised, and that we will see, we will see one another again, and they will get their son back. We pray that you would give them that hope. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So we're looking at the issue of Jesus being uh, the Lord and looking at the I am statements of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John. We're not going to be able necessarily to cover every one of them, but we're, we're doing this as we prepare our hearts for Advent and in the midst of a time where there's a lot going on, right, in our culture. <laughs> Just a couple things. And we've covered a lot of these issues straight up with our previous series, which we just started or just finished last week called Beyond Surviving. And so now we're done. We did it. We covered a lot of the issues and we're beyond surviving. Do you feel great? Like you're done. You're ready to move on. You're doing fantastic now. And you're just going to move on. No. Uh, we covered a lot of the topics that we feel like we're deal- dealing with as, as the world right now. And how do we move out of just mere survival mode spiritually and as people? And we tackled the issue of politics this last week. And now as we ready ourselves and, and know that there's going to be great trauma and turmoil in our culture We're calling our hearts as a church to focus our eyes on Jesus and who he is, and always, right, but especially now, today, these coming weeks, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so before we get into our passage today, I want to read another passage from Hebrews 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I'm going to kind of preach throughout this passage for just a second, 
In Hebrews 12, it says this, whenever, or, you know, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and I want you to pick up the imagery of what he's talking about. Like, first of all, a cloud is, is beautiful and big in the sky, and it's basically saying, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on as we run the race of faith on this earth. And he's talking about the saints who have gone on before us, and by saints, I mean just followers of Jesus. That's what the Bible calls saints. It's not a special category that you've reached and so forth. It is just, it's, it's people who are in Christ. The, the author of Hebrews, though, does mention some of the more famous biblical heroes that have gone on before us, and they're cheering us on as we suffer, as we grieve, as we go through loss, as we mourn, as we, as we endure life on planet Earth, he reminds us there is a cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us that are in heaven waiting us and they're saying, keep up the faith. Keep running. How many of you have ever run in a race, like a road race, like a 5K or a, a half marathon or a marathon? Okay, so one of the most encouraging things about being in a race, I'm sure, I've not done it, but is the people on the sidelines that are cheering you on when you feel like you're going to give up and you're going to die and you've got the crowd of witnesses around you saying, keep going, you can do it. Stay focused, right? And he says this, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, so let us lay aside every weight, anything that would weigh you down. When you're in a race, you don't like put on construction boots to go running in a marathon, right? You get the lightest running shoes you can, you get rid of the weight, the weight of sin, he says. Get rid of every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run endurance, with endurance the race that is set before us. And then there's this part that I want to get to for today and for this series of the I Am Statements, and it's this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And this is the ESV version. So there's multiple English versions of the Old and New Testament. We use here the English Standard Version. We like it because it's a very faithful version to the original languages. Another one that I really like is the New International Version. And in that version, it says this, Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I love that imagery, like that training your eye, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who he says, and then in the NIV, it says, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what we're hoping to do during this series as we're running our race of faith. And, and one of the important things when you get to a tough milestone in, in a race is, right, is you've got, to, you've got to think about something other than the pain. And so you fix your eyes, a mental picture of something else, and you're running towards that thing. This last week, uh, Thursday through Saturday, Becky and I got to get away and enjoy the amazing state of Arizona. And we, we drove up to Flagstaff on Thursday. We got an Airbnb. We saw the Aspen up at Snowbowl. We then went up to the Grand Canyon and hiked a little bit. And then later, we, we went to parts of Sedona yesterday and hiked around. Just it's so glorious and so beautiful. And if you know Becky, uh, she is in great shape. She's always been in great shape, and she's never met a hiking trail that she doesn't want to hike, and she wants to hike it to the bitter end. And so I always get a little nervous, and her CO2 max is like off the chart, and so I get a little nervous hiking with her because she's way more rugged than I am. And so we go to the Grand Canyon, we're hiking down, and we're not even close to where she would like to go to, like right 
and even though it's just like, we're just going to do a quick hike, she says, in the Grand Canyon, you know, it's like, but we're way past my sense of like, this is good for me, like, you know, and she's like, we're going to, we'll just do whatever's good for you, but I also know her longing to go and go and go, and so, but we do get to an area where I feel like, I know I'll get out of here alive, I will, but like, I, you know, I just don't know how difficult it's going to be, and so we got down there, and we turn around, and about, I don't know, a few hundred yards into our walk back up the hill, she goes, okay, let's play a game. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to do part of a movie quote, and then you tell me, you finish the quote, and then you tell me what movie it's from. And I go, oh, okay, that'll be kind of fun. And so we're hiking, and she's giving me stuff, and I'm playing it, and then it dawns on me, she's in mommy mode, and I'm Scotty boy, and she's like, come on, Scotty, we can do it we can do this, little buddy, let's go. Like, and she's playing the game. She's doing exactly what she used to do to our boys. And I call her, I go, you're, you're playing like mommy mode. Like, you're, I'm the little kid here. She's like, yeah, let's go, let's go, honey. You can do it. And much to my surprise, I, I did great. I could have gone way further down. But what she was doing is she was having me fix my eyes on something other than the pain and suffering of climbing out of the Grand Canyon, right? Let's do something fun. And so we did, and that's the key. If you want to get through the turmoil of COVID, the election, all these swirling issues, don't fix your eyes on those things. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The author. I love that phrase instead of founder. I love that word, author. Why? Because what do authors do? They write stories. Jesus is the story writer of our life. We're in a story. God is the author of that story. He's in charge. None of the parts of our story catch the author by surprise. Ooh, I didn't see that coming. You're the author. He's the author of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's with us. And how did the perfecter of our faith handle suffering? It says this, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. Jesus too had to fix his eyes on something. He fixed his eyes on what the Father was doing to save the world through his sacrifice on the cross. He's, that was joy to him. And so he fixed his eyes there. That's how he endured the cross. Okay. That sort of sets the stage of why we're doing this series. We're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus. If you ask me to tell me about myself, I'll say things like this. You know, uh, hey, I'm, I'm Scott. I uh, grew up in Indiana. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a husband, first and foremost, beyond that. Then I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a Phoenician. I'm a boilermaker, painfully. But when people ask Jesus, or when Jesus described himself, he would say things like this. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Who talks like that? I don't say, I don't use the definite article when describing myself. Like, I am the pastor, you know? I'm the pastor. I am the husband. I am the father. No, I don't talk like that. Neither do you. People who talk like that need help, generally, Right? But Jesus spoke like that. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
what C.S. Lewis famously said was people that talk like that, you don't call them good people. You either say they, they need help, they're either a liar, a lunatic, or they are who they say they are, and they can back it up with proof. And Christians believe that Jesus backed up what he said with truth through his resurrecting from the dead. One of my favorite theologians is the rock star Bono. And in an interview in 2013, he said this. I'm, I'm kind of joking about the theologian part, but he did write this about Jesus in an article. He said this, and it was in an article where they're interviewing him. He said, look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He's a great prophet, obviously, a very interesting guy. He, he had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets. But Bono says, kind of quoting C.S. Lewis, but Christ doesn't allow that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm just a teacher. I'm just a prophet. I'm saying I'm God incarnate. I'm saying that I'm the Messiah. And people say, no, 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 please just be a prophet. Be a good teacher. We can't take that if you say you're Messiah. We've had John the Baptist eat locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. But don't mention the M word because you know we're going to have to crucify you if you keep saying that. Tim Keller has written a great book called The Reason for God. Who among us doesn't wrestle with deep doubt and questions about our faith? We all do, and I highly recommend the book The Reason for God to You by Tim Keller, where he tackles some of the most significant issues that we struggle with 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 regards to our faith. And one of them is this. How can we have such an exclusive faith? Christianity rubs our culture wrong, and if we're honest, we wrestle with it as well. Jesus comes along and doesn't just say, I'm one of the ways to the eternal life that awaits humanity. He says, I am the eternal life. He doesn't just say, I am a path. He says, I am the path. It's so exclusive, and in our passage today, he says, I am the light of the world. He says this, Tim Keller in his book, you hear people say Something like this. No one should insist that their view of God is better than all the rest. Now, we don't go around saying our view is better, but we are saying we believe Jesus is the true way. You say, you hear people saying like this. Every religion is equally valid or equally true, but that can only be true, he says, if there is no God first, or there is a God who is, but is an impersonal force and doesn't care about your doctrinal perspective on him. That is a very particular view of God, and you're basing your entire life on it, and you're asking me and others to change my view of God to your view of God. What looks like inclusivism is basically covert exclusivism. It's exclusive. It's just as exclusive as saying there's one way to say no, there's millions of ways and that my way is true. What you've actually done is to say that all religions are equally valid is itself assuming a particular view of God, which is a leap of faith, and you are insisting that everyone out there must believe your view of God or else they will be unenlightened and they'll be wrong. And so, friends, I know we all wrestle with the reality that Jesus is saying, I am not just a light, I am the light. That seems so exclusive. 
but even the view that says no, there are many paths to God and they all lead to the same thing. That too is just as an exclusive claim because you're saying it's the right claim. In John 8, 12, which is our passage today, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And kind of the main point that I want us to see today for us is because Jesus is the light of the world, we should follow him wherever he leads. I mean, if he truly is the light of the world, if he tr- he's not just a light among lights, he's not just a truth among truth, but if he really is who he says he is in the light of the world, then we ought to follow him wherever his light leads us. And to follow is the essence, in a sense, of what faith actually is. Because faith, we know, can't simply mean uh, a mental ascent or say, yeah, I believe this about Jesus or this or this. It has to touch your life to some level to where you not only believe in Jesus intellectually, but you also, you love him. You love him. You love what he's done for you. You've put your hope and your trust in him. It says in the Bible that even the demons believe what's true about God and they shudder. What happens to us when we walk in darkness? And can we, can we be honest enough just for a second to say every single one of us in this room has walked in darkness? What happens when we walk around in the dark? We get hurt, man. Every one of us. We get hurt. When I was in college, Becky and I were camp counselors at a, a camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks in Boswell, Pennsylvania. We didn't know each other. In fact, we met there. And we didn't start dating there. We, we got reacquainted with one another in Indianapolis later. But we met, we met there, and some of my best friends to this day, I, I met at that camp. One of the, the greatest experiences of my life were the three summers that I spent as a full-time counselor at Summer's Best Two Weeks. There were five terms where kids would come through And for four of them, they would stay for two weeks. It was summer's best two weeks for these kids. We worked so hard to make this the best two weeks of their life. And during that two weeks, uh, all the kids would either go back, or excuse me, they would either go down a a whitewater rafting trip down the Yakagani River. Do not ask me to spell that. It's really hard. (laughs) And it was this amazing, beautiful whitewater rafting trip. Or we would go spelunking, which is caving. But I just like saying spelunking. Who doesn't? So you, every two weeks, we counselors either got to go rafting or caving and having this huge explore, uh, exploration. It was absolutely amazing. In this cave, we would hike out to it and we'd gather the kids around, make sure everyone had their flashlight, of course, and maybe a jacket because it's chilly in there. And, and there's this entrance to the cave. It was pretty narrow. You would have no idea it was there if you didn't know. And, and you'd kind of crawl down in it and then you'd work your way through a narrow passage and then would open up. And then it would close down again and get very narrow and you have to kind of just squeeze your way through. And, and then you'd open up again to these big hallways and, and we'd walk and walk and walk through these big hallways and at the end of it, it opened up to a very large room that they called the cathedral. And this was the goal. It was the end of the hike, the cathedral. It was very large and we'd take our flashlights and look up at the ceiling and the walls and just see how big and immense it was. And then we'd gather this group of students and say, all right, we want everyone to to be silent, to sit down, and, and we're going to turn off our flashlights and, and try to be quiet. Well, can you imagine how long that took? A bunch of kids in the dark, a lot of shenanigans going on. Isn't that a great word? 
shenanigans. Anyway, so then we're sitting there in the dark, waiting, waiting, waiting for it to be quiet. And then, of course, the counselor that was going to talk would light the match and talk about how Jesus is the light of the world. You had to, right, at this point. You had to go to John 8. But in the darkness, as we would sit there for minutes, the, the darkness was utter and complete darkness. We're a half mile in a cave. There is no light. And every time, my mind would run to this idea of what if my flashlight didn't work and everyone else in the group didn't work? Like, that's mathematically probably impossible, right? But what if all of our flashlights didn't work? Or what if I was in this cave alone and, and tried to get out and my flashlight went out? And I would think to myself, what if? How would I get out? You would not get out of that cave without the light. There's no way. Many of us have been trying to walk through life without the light of Christ in our lives. And we've experienced what happens when we live that way. We have the scars and the bruises and the cuts to show for it. And that's not some of us in this room, that's all of us, and it's really a matter of degree to how much that's been true. How many times, though, do we have to scrape ourselves and cut ourselves and bruise ourselves to realize that walking in the dark is not a good thing? It's not a healthy thing. And again, because Jesus is the light of the world, if he really is the light of the world, as he says, not just a light, but the light, then we ought to, we ought to follow him wherever he leads us. And one of the fundamental questions I want us to be wrestling with today, and not out of a sense of guilt whatsoever, but out of a sense of joy, is to say, there is a light. I don't have to walk in darkness. What area of my life am I still sort of walking in darkness, though? What part of my life have I'm saying, you know, not yet, Lord. I mean, I've shined the light over here and over here and over here, but I'm not quite ready to go there yet. Ask yourself that question. Think about that. Each of us is bent on doing our own thing, living our lives apart from God. That really is sort of a fundamental definition of what sin is. It's to live your life apart from God and his will. You know, technically we talk about it's missing the mark, and yes, that's true, but it's really, it's building your life apart from God. I will be my own Lord and Savior. I will be the one who decides what's good and right and true. And when we do that, we walk in darkness and Jesus is saying, walk with me. Walk with me in the light. And we say, yeah, but not now. Maybe later. I can remember the wrestling match that I was having with God when I went away to Purdue as a, as a freshman and just walking around campus and, and feeling the tug of, right, of like, am I going to walk with God right now or am I going to wait? And everything in my selfishness wanted to say, wait, just wait. There's, I know God's light does not include a lot of the stuff that my heart wanted to do and be about. And it's like, I want to pursue these things. I'll just try these other things for a bit. But I felt like God kept saying, follow me now. Follow me now. I literally can remember walking past a huge party on campus as I'm coming home from my class and heading to my dorm. And at that time, I am following Christ, and I'm kind of lonely, to be honest, because I'm like, I don't want to get caught up in the party scene, and I knew that I could go there. And so I am walking back past this huge raging party, and I felt like God was just saying, keep following me, Scott. Just follow me. I am the light of the world. By God's grace, although it was not perfect, 
that really sort of was when I began to personally follow Jesus and know that I was doing it for Christ and not anybody else. It wasn't to impress the people from my church back home because they weren't there. They wouldn't have known. I could have told them whatever I wanted. My parents didn't care at the time. My dad was not a Christian and my mom and stepdad were not yet that on fire for God. No one really cared. I mean, people cared, but no one was that close enough to know. But for the first time, I felt like I have to follow him now. And the other question we have to begin to ask ourselves is like, but even there, like the answer is now, will you follow me now? And will you let me go there in this part of your life or this part of your life? What about your thought life, your anger, your bitterness, gossip, greed, the stuff that goes on in our heart, in our mind, in our inner life? Lust, will we let the Lord go there? Our pleasure. What about our kids? What about our parenting? What about our money? What about politics? Is Christ the light of the world? Will we let him speak to all these areas of life? Or do we have all these parts of our life that we say Christ can go there but not there? And so, of course, the, the, the question that's begged, and if you're part of a gospel community at New Valley that's still gathering, then Ask this question of one another. What, where, where are we most tempted to just say, nah, I want to walk in darkness? Jesus isn't saying, make some room in your life for me. He's saying, I am life. We tend, especially I think as American Christians, we tend to say, to believe in God and to follow him means I will make God a part of my life, Right? I mean, let's face it, we all kind of do this. I will make time for God, and that means I will observe some religious services. I will go to some services. I may read the scripture. I may do these things. I'm gonna carve out some time for God, and, and, and he'll be so impressed, right, with the fact that I'm gonna go to church today, or I'm gonna read a book, or I'm gonna do this service project, and I will make time for God and have him be a part of my life. Do you see how wrong-headed that is, Right? We don't make time for God. We don't make him a part of our life. He's the author of our life. He's the perfecter of our faith. Instead, we say, no, he's Lord of my life. All of my life is his. I don't just make time for him. But what does that look like to walk in the light? And, man, we're just gonna scratch the surface here today. There, we could spend months discussing this. What does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? Practically, practically part of what it has to mean is to be a people that partake of his means of grace. And they are means of grace. They are not laws or duties that we keep in order to be saved. These are means or channels of God's grace that he's given us in order for us to grow and be strengthened in our faith. Because the gospel, that word gospel means good news, is such good news because it's radically different than every other religion, hear me, and every other philosophy in the world. Christianity is different. In this way, every other religion or faith or system of belief will tell you if you do enough good, eventually you can climb the stairway to heaven. 
If you are good enough, you will be accepted by God someday, maybe. If you do the right rules, if you keep the right things, if you follow the rules and the right checkboxes, then you will be saved. If I obey, I'll be saved. If I obey, I'll be accepted. But the gospel starts from a totally different vantage point. The gospel is, I am accepted. Therefore, I obey. I am loved. I am saved. I am a son. I am a daughter. And because of that goodness and the kindness of God toward me, then I live out of joyful obedience, not in order to get salvation, but because I have it. That's such a different place. The child that obeys the parent because they love their mom and their dad and they just say, I want to honor you. I love you. You're so good to me. I've experienced nothing but grace and kindness from you in my home. You provide for me. You care for me. You shelter me. You feed me. You love me. And though I'm imperfect, I, I do want to obey you. Versus the slave that cowers under the master's hand and say, I'll obey. I hope someday you'll accept me. The gospel is so different. It says this in 1 John 1, verses 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And that's such good news for a divided country right now. The truth is, if you're in Christ, you have fellowship with other brothers and sisters, even if you don't agree on politics or all these other things going on, mass, no mass, this or that. It doesn't matter. You have fellowship with one another. You have koinonia, meaning whether you can even agree with each other right now or not, ultimately, if you are really in Christ, you're going to spend eternity together. And that's good news. People who are different from one another, the kingdom of God that is coming is made of every race, tribe, tongue, nation. If you're not down with diversity right now, you're going to be pretty bummed in eternity because it's going to be a diverse group of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, race, ethnicity. Yeah, you get it. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We're to experience fellowship in this life as well. That's one of the means of grace is community, friendship. We're brothers and sisters. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then he goes on to say this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I mean, we get together every Sunday and one of the things we do almost every Sunday is confess our sins together and then receive an assurance of pardon. It's part of our what we call liturgy. It's a part of our pattern of worship. Because every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we recognize that, but we don't repent of our sins every week in order to get cleansed and then move on in in a state of forgiveness. We come in every Sunday as a people of God who already live under the umbrella of God's grace and are already fully forgiven. You know that, right? It's not like you walk in here on Sunday like partially forgiven and then after we confess our sins and then Tyson reads some passage over and serves Caleb and says, in Christ your sins are forgiven. You're like, oh, thank God, I've got another seven days. No, we're a forgiven people. But we grow as we learn to confess our sins to one another. We live in authentic, authentic lives. It's so difficult to live with someone who won't admit the elephant in the room, is it not? When somebody's living a lie or a part truth or whatever, and everyone around them can see it, and yet it's never confessed, it's such a difficulty. One of the means of grace is fellowship. The other is 
confessing our sins to one another, and then it says this, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. Who do you confess your sins to? I've got good news for you. Uh, It doesn't have to be a priest or a pastor. That's not a bad thing, by the way, to confess your sins to another human being. We should be confessing our sins to uh, another human being. Is there anyone in your life you've confessed everything to? And you don't, you know, you don't even have to like confess every little detail. The truth is you may not even know every detail. Maybe only God can remember all the ways in which you've walked away from him. But is, is there sort of all the categories, all the places where you struggle, is there anyone in your life that kind of knows the full narrative and say, here's where I am. We had a gospel community, our, our gospel community met the other day and right now we're meeting uh, with women uh, every other week, and then the guys are getting together every week just so we can have more social distancing. And we're meeting outside, and one of the brothers, like who is newer to the group, just like decided to tell his story. And he's the new guy in the group. And as a, a, a founder of this church, I just walked away so, not the church, th- you know, this local church here, right? Like, I just walked away so encouraged that there was such authentic community, one of the things that we value most at New Valley, in this moment where a new guy shows up and goes, hey, here's, here's some of the worst things about me that I'm gonna need accountability from you guys. Here's some stuff that I just really hope the Lord will grow me in. It was so encouraging. And it made me so encouraged. That brother knows the gospel and believes he's a son of God in Jesus. He can be free and real with guys that he doesn't even know that well. So, so cool. The gospel makes us authentic and the gospel grows us. It says in Ephesians 5 verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And what I've found is one of the greatest ways to expose the areas of my life where I might be tempted just to go, Jesus, don't go in there. Don't go with your light shining in there. Is to confess it. When I keep it to myself and no other human being, on, you know, I can talk to God about it, but if I haven't told another brother or, or my wife, then it grows. Have you noticed that? If I don't tell someone about what's going on in my heart, my inner life, or the places where I'm tempted, that, it's like mold in the darkness. And it festers and it grows. But as soon as I confess it to another person, it, it's almost as always as if it's a channel of God's grace that says, there's strength now to walk, to turn on the light and get out of the cave. There's such grace in confession. Religious people tell themselves they're okay because I'm keeping the rules and I'm doing the right things. And then we set up, necessarily what religion does to us is we set up, we're the good people because we're keeping the rules and they're the bad people because they're not. But the, the gospel says this, we're all, we're all people who've walked away from God and need the grace of God. And without that, there's no hope whatsoever. Religion necessarily kills authentic community. What do I mean by that? Because if you're all just trying to earn a relationship with God, there's almost this competition, like you've got to see how good I am. Look at how I'm keeping the rules and keeping up. I am being more religious than you are. And you see that not just in other religions. We see it in our own faith within Christianity. 
our hearts run towards a system of religion all the time instead of the gospel, even those of us who say we believe it. And so if you're bent towards that religious way of life, if you're not careful, you're constantly trying to prove yourself and you're not living in authenticity. You're not able to share your story because I have to prove, look how good I am. It also actually kills inner growth too. And here's why. If you give me a list of rules of do's and don'ts, I can keep those. Even some pretty tough ones, and you can too. Tell me what to do, tell me what not to do. I can probably keep those. I'm talking about any outward rule. Don't eat this, don't drink that, do this on a certain day, don't do this on another day. I can do those things. I could even give up bacon if I had to, if I was an Old Testament believer, but that would be hard, but I I could do it. But, tell me to love my neighbor with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor's myself, sorry. Now that's harder. But that's God's requirement. That's his standard. And if we start with God's standard, we see, oh, religion doesn't work. Find me one day where I have loved God with everything in my being. I haven't found one of those yet. Find me one day when I have loved my neighbor as much as I love myself in fullness. Yeah, I haven't had one of those days yet. Okay, then I guess I'm not saved yet unless my salvation comes from another. And thanks be to God, that is the gospel. We're saved by Christ. Back to Bono, uh, Bono, Bono, Bono. You see, at the center of all religion is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. And yet, along comes this idea called grace. And it upends all of that, you reap what you'll sow stuff. God says, look, There are certain results to the way we are, to selfishness as part of your very sinful nature, and let's face it, you're not living a very good life. This is is Bono. And he says this, the point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that we, what we have put out in the world does not come back on us. And that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death that we've sown. That's the point. And that should keep us humbled, he says, and I say amen. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. Hallelujah. Because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, in God's eyes, everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you. This is what the book of Romans teaches us, the book of, of, of Galatians. That Paul talks about how everything that Christ did in his life is now ours by faith. This is what justification by faith means, that the righteousness of Christ becomes your gift. But not only that, not only are you forgiven of your sins and received the righteousness of Christ, God now looks at you through the lens of his, Christ's righteousness and not your own attempts at righteousness. And so this is true of us in light of Jesus. Despite our failure to make the mark of God's standard, those who trust in Jesus are regarded by God as beautiful, lovable, guilt-free all the time. Now can you imagine that? 
You talk to any therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, whether they're Christians or not, and they will tell you that shame is probably the number one problem for humanity in terms of like emotional growth. We have the solution to shame in the gospel. Jesus has covered us, all of our faults, all of our failures. It's just what Pastor Tyson was saying earlier that he was tempted to to say this thing about himself and God said, be like Mary and trust in what I've said is true of you. You're forgiven. And we want to believe, oh, if you take away the motive from me, I'll never seek a holy life. Without shame, I'll quit wanting to do good. Don't you see how shame never leads us to true holiness? It just keeps life all about us. My pain, my suffering, my difficulty, the ways that I was abused and so forth. But Jesus flips it and says, no, your shame is covered. I love you. I forgive you. There is no more guilt on you. It's covered completely. And then now your motive is love. In the Bible, throughout the entire Bible, it says love's the key. Paul says, you can speak with the tongues of angels, you can, do, you can feed the poor, you can do all these things, but without love, you have nothing, but with love, you have everything. Love becomes our motive, and there is no greater motive than love. So, do you have enough emotional wherewithal now, because the gospel's true of you, to think about the areas in which the light of Christ has not yet dawned on yet and, and you're you're even resisting it but can you approach this not from a shame perspective like oh my gosh I'm so horrible I haven't let the light of Christ in this area of my life instead say I'm a broken fallen sinner who of course has not yet let this area of 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 Christ in my life but here's the other reality that's true of me I am loved by God that I am a son of God I'm a daughter of God through Jesus Christ I'm already totally forgiven And I've tasted and seen that Jesus is the light of the world and he is so good, why would I not let him shine his light in this area? Not out of guilt, but out of joy and out of hope. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. Would you let him shine the radiant light of his glory into your life? If you've not yet trusted and hoped in him, would you look to him by faith, trust that he is the light of the world? And if you have, let's ask the Lord to keep shining his grace and his truth more and more in our life in those places maybe where we have resisted. Let's pray. Father, I I pray for those among us who, who have not yet looked to you perhaps until this moment as the light of the world. And I just pray for them that you would enable their hearts to gladly see how good you are and how kind you are in leading us out of darkness. And as the light, you, you only lead us to truth and to what's good and never what is evil. So set us on your path, Father. I pray for every one of us, for those of us who are just beginning that journey to those of us who have been walking for a very light, long time, Father, would you show us how good you are, how good your son Jesus is, and that you truly are the light of the world. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.